Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Fire on Wrestling Show. In this edition, I will talk about Ring of Honor's Final Battle 2021. I'll talk about five films I would love to see on Blu-ray in 2022. I'll have an interview with director Aaron Fradkin, the director of Val, a film that people should definitely check out as this is a very good film. It is a very funny horror comedy. And in What's Anthony T. Watching, I will be talking about the second release from V.S. Pictures, which is actually a joint release with Magnet Releasing. But first, the news. Netflix recently released a trailer for the upcoming The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, that's right. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre is happening in 2022, everyone. This is following the trend of David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy in which this is more like a retcon, meaning this film picks up 50 years after the first film. That's right. Nearly 50 years after. After the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Meaning it's going to ignore everything else except the first film. Now according to the plot synopsis on IMDb. After nearly 50 years of hiding. Leatherface returns to terrorize a group of idealistic young friends. Who accidentally disrupt his carefully shielded world in a remote Texas town. Meaning... They accidentally run into Leatherface, and Leatherface is pissed off. But nearly 50 years, so that means we're getting Old Man Leatherface. That's right. We already have Old Man Michael Myers. Now, can we have Old Man Freddy Krueger? Or Old Man Jason Voorhees? Because it seems like everything's getting retconned now. Seriously. Now we're going to try to follow up. After the way Halloween was so successful, let's retcon Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ignore Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, 3, and the new generation. Well, we can ignore 3 in the new generation because I heard they're not good films. So I've not seen them. If I hear bad things about films, I'm not going to see them. No interest in seeing those two. But I'm very interested in seeing Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. Because it is a reboot. Or retcon. Whatever you call it. Because it's picking up 50 years after the original film. Or nearly 50 years. Whatever. But still, this looks interesting. I have to admit, the teaser trailer looked very good. It got me interested in this film. I want to see a full trailer, too. Don't get me wrong. Because that thing did not look like a full trailer. That looked like more like a teaser trailer. But seriously, this looks like a... Interesting film so far. And it's coming very soon, everyone. It's not like we're going to be waiting to the summer or waiting to the fall of 2022. As Netflix has a release date already of February 18th. In over two months, we will see Leatherface back, for better or worse. Because I can't remember how many films there has been of Leatherface. Let's face it. We had the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We had Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Both very good films. The first two films are great. Then we had 3. Then we had For the New Generation. Then we had Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake. We also had a sequel to that. Or a prequel, whatever that is. Then we had Texas Chainsaw 3D, which is a good guilty pleasure film. Don't get me wrong. But is not a film that I would write home about. Then we had Leatherface, which I heard is very bad. Never had the time to see this film, even though I have this film in my collection. So I don't know what to expect with this new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. I don't know why we are trying to copy Halloween in fast-forwarding the story 50 years or nearly 50 years later. It's like, why? It's going to be a very interesting film, nonetheless, obviously. As the film stars Alice Krieg from Star Trek First Contact, possibly the greatest Star Trek film ever. She was also in Silent Hill, Sleepwalkers, Eliza Fisher, Neil Hudson. It looks interesting so far, but I want to see a real trailer. And with over two months to go, I would like to see a trailer soon. Seriously, Netflix. Because it's 
kind of a little late that they've put out a teaser trail this late, knowing that the film's coming out in two months. It'd be nice to put a trailer out so I can judge it, see if I really want to see this film. Even though I'll probably see it anyway, because I have Netflix. And they've had a good track record this year. Netflix has done some good stuff this year with Army of the Dead. Army of Thieves, the prequel to Army of the Dead. And the Fear Street films. So, this might be a good film. Because it's being done by Netflix. So, I really cannot wait to see this version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Even though it's Old Man Leatherface. Let's face it, it's Old Man Leatherface. So it'll be an interesting film to see. Can't wait to check this film out in February. As this may be an interesting film, or it could end up like all the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels and reboots. In wrestling news, Kevin Owens re-signs with WWE. That was a surprise. I'm going to say this right out. I am very surprised that Kevin Owens re-signed with WWE because I literally thought he was a goner after January. But he will be sticking around the promotion for another three years. According to various reports, he will be making two to three million per year. It's amazing. WWE actually brought the Brinks truck to stop signing some of their talents. It's about time they tried to do that. Don't get me wrong. I love Kevin Owens. I think he's a great wrestler. And I think him signing with WWE is probably good for the business in the long term. Because you can't have everyone jump to AEW. Trust me. I wish Kevin Owens jumped to AEW. But if he's getting paid 2 to $3 million a year... I cannot blame the guy for going for the payday. He's a great wrestler. Don't get me wrong. This guy should be featured more on Raw. And I really hope he gets the WWE title now. And they give him a run with it. Because he can really do some really good things. He's got great character work. He's very good in the ring. He can be a good champion for the Raw brand. Maybe actually care about it a little bit too as well because right now i don't care about wwe raw or wwe smackdown for that matter because right now creatively wwe is at an all-time low but i cannot fault kevin owens for taking the two to three million dollars per year now this is gonna be for three years that's if the whole contract happens because knowing wwe they love to cut wrestlers. That's why I was very little skeptical about Kevin Owens signing with WWE. But if they can give him two to three million dollars, he'll at least get probably two to three million dollars, which is not bad, quite frankly. He deserves a big payday. He's one of the best out there. He should be the face of Raw. But I hope this means he'll get some more screen time, and probably play a more bigger role in WWE in the next two to three years. In other wrestling news, Ring of Honor had its final battle on December 11th, and it was a very good show. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed the show, but for a promotion that's supposed to be dead, it didn't feel like a final show. I don't know if it's going to be the final show, but... To me, if you're starting new angles, it does not feel like a final show. It doesn't feel like the promotion is folding. Maybe they still are. But to me, I did not get a sense that was happening, given what took place on the Ring of Honor show on December 11th. Now, I'm going to only go into the main card, because this was a four-hour pay-per-view, with the first hour being pretty much a pre-show. So... The pay-per-view started off with Dragon Lee defeating Ray Horace in a very good match. It was a very good Lucha Libre match, which ended when Lee hit his knee strike, followed by his finisher, the Incinerator, to the back of the head for the victory. 
Then Rhett Titus won the Ring of Honor World Television title, defeating Dalton Castle, Silas Young, and Joe Henry in a four-corner survival match. This was a good match, but it's great to see Rhett Titus win a title in Ring of Honor, a singles title, as he's won many tag team titles in the promotion, whether it's a part of the All Night Express or the Foundation. Then after that, we had a very good Pure Wrestling Championship match as Joshua's defended the Ring of Honor Pure Championship by defeating Brian Johnson. Shane Taylor defeated Kenny King in a fight without honor, which I really thought was match of the night. It was an insane match. The Ring of Honor Women's Champion Roxy defeated Will Nightingale to retain the ROH Women's Championship. And this is where the show starts to go bonkers in a good way. Right after the match, none other than Impact Wrestling star Deanna Parrazzo comes out challenging Roxy for a title versus title match as Deanna Parrazzo holds the Reina de Reneas Championship. It's pretty much Triple A's Women's Championship. The next match saw Violence Unlimited along with Rocky Romero defeat EC3, Tracy Williams, Eli Isom, and Taylor Rust. After the match, EC3 calling out Eli Isom, Dak Draper, and Brian Johnson to unleash the Titan, Adam Scherzer. A.K.A. Braun Strowman. My jaw literally bleeping dropped. If this is going to be the new version of Ring of Honor, where they have these overly big men that can't move fast, I don't know if I want to support it. Because Braun Strowman, Adam Scherzer, the Titan, whatever, does not come to mind when I think about Ring of Honor. What I think about Ring of Honor is Brian Danielson, CM Punk, Samoa Joe, not Adam Scherzer, not the Titan. It's just, I don't know why they brought him in. If this is the end, then it's the end. But I really hope that was just a one-off appearance. I hope if Ring of Honor comes back, that Adam Scherzer is not a part of it. Please, no. And if he is, he has to stay far away from the title picture. Please. If he becomes the Ring of Honor World Champion, I will give up on Ring of Honor. Seriously. Because that's not what I think when I think of Ring of Honor. I think of some of the great best technical wrestling in the world. Not the Titan Adam Scherzer. I'm sorry. To me... That may have been the death nail of Ring of Honor to me. If he's with that promotion going forward. Even if one-offs. I don't care. I don't want to see Adam Scherzer on my television. I didn't like him in WWE. And I don't want him in Ring of Honor. I sure as hell don't want him in AEW. I'm sorry. Not a fan of big men. Unless they're like Keith Lee and Karrion Cross. I am not a fan of these big men anymore. Sorry. You can also add Miro too. Because Miro is very good. But let's move on to the other big story. Because something bigger happened after that match. As the Briscoe brothers defeated the OG Kingdom of Mike Bennett and Matt Taven. To reclaim the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles for the 12th time. Definitely, if you were going to go out and this was it, you definitely give the titles to the Briscoes. Because they are what the tag team divisional has been over the last 20 years in Ring of Honor. If it wasn't for the Briscoes and the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers, tag team wrestling would be dead today. It's teams like those that have kept the art. Of tag team wrestling alive over the years. Because WWE doesn't give a damn about tag team wrestling anymore. It's just filler on their TV shows. But companies like AEW, Impact Wrestling, all those other companies care about tag team wrestling. And it's a very good art form for wrestling. And if that win wasn't 
exciting enough. The post-match just made me scream dream match. As when the Briscoes are celebrating their 12th tag team reign, the lights go out and none other than FTR showed up. Yes, Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood showed up on Ring of Honor TV. That was just insane. This screams dream match all over. I can't wait for this match to happen. And this will probably happen in All Elite Wrestling. Let's face it, people. The Briscoes are coming to All Elite Wrestling soon. I really do believe they are going there. And it's about time they are with a major promotion. They are the greatest tag team in the last 20 to 30 years that hasn't signed with a major promotion. Now, I think we're finally going to see the Briscoes finally get that big paycheck that they've deserved for busting their asses the last 20 years in Ring of Honor and on the indie circuit. This is probably the greatest tag team not to be in a major promotion. And quite frankly, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Their Ring of Honor work solidifies it, definitely. I can't wait to see what happens next between FTR and the Briscoes. As I got a feeling it's going to be happening in all elite wrestling. I could be wrong, but I got a very good feeling that they will be with all elite wrestling soon. It may take a while because, well, we can't have 10 million day views on one episode, but they will be hitting there. Because especially with Ring of Honor not supposedly running a show until April, WrestleMania weekend, if they run a show in April, I highly doubt it. I can see the Briscoes definitely signing with all elite wrestling. No doubt. No questions asked. Just have that feeling. Then in the main event, Jonathan Gresham defeated Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor World title. That's right. Jonathan Gresham wrestled Jay Lethal for the Ring of Honor title, even though Jay Lethal's in All Elite Wrestling. Now, this happened after Banditos contracted COVID-19 and had to be pulled off the Final Battle card. In the last-minute replacement, they were able to get All Elite Wrestling to let them use Jay Lethal. Overall, I thought it was a very good match. Very short. I wish it was a longer match, but they were running close on time. But overall, it was a great way to end the pay-per-view, as I think that was better than having the tag team match at the end. Because quite frankly, the tag team match would have ended with a cliffhanger, and you kind of don't want to do that if you don't know if you're running another show. But it was such a great way to go out with Jonathan Gresham versus Jay Lethal, if it is the final Ring of Honor show. And with that, that's the news. Besides Anthony T's Horror Show, you can also listen to these other fine podcasts on the Doc Discussions Network. Doc Discussions, hosted by Phil Perone and Michael Darwin. You Know Nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast. Bullets, Brothels, and Bots, a Westworld podcast, Halloween Boutique, Psychotronic Reviews, and Searching for American Gods. You can find Doc Discussions on the web at www.docdiscussions.com, and Doc Discussions is also available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Welcome back. Now, between episodes, you truly came across a video that I want to talk about. I was literally scrolling down on my Facebook feed when I saw a video on DeadPit.com's YouTube page about a film called Trick or Treat. I'm not talking about the Michael Doherty film. I'm talking about the one with Sammy Kerr 
and the cameos from Gene Simmons and Ozzy Osbourne. That trick-or-treat. And this is one of those films that has not been on Blu-ray. This is one of those films for years that has been MIA. It's like, it's one of those films where literally there's 10 million legal hurdles for this to ever get released on Blu-ray. Now, something interesting came up on that. I watched this a video clip. Now, if you don't know what DeadPit.com is, it's, it's a horror podcast, basically. But when I saw this video, I got so excited. I want to see this film on Blu-ray so bad. And for years, I could not get this film on Blu-ray here in the States because literally the film is going through 10 million legal hurdles. I thought it was about music rights, but apparently it's something else. And in that video, one of the guys who had direct knowledge as close to it has said it's not the music that's holding this release up. It's something else. And it's getting cleaned up. Meaning we may get trick or treat next year. I'm hoping. Seriously. So it got me thinking, what other films I want to see on Blu-ray so bad? And this started off with The Elephant in the Room, Trick or Treat. This is a very good slasher film. I had a fun time watching this film. I came across this years ago. Saw it, liked it. And was wondering whenever they were going to release this film. It's like, it was one of those films where I, when I first saw it, I said to myself, I knew I want to see this film on Blu-ray. And I still want to see this film on Blu-ray. Literally. It has a great soundtrack. I think the performances in this film are good. This film has very good direction from Charles Martin Smith. It stars Mark Price of Family Ties. It's a very good supernatural slasher film. And I don't know why this film has not been on Blu-ray yet. I don't know what's causing it. Is it music rights? Is it something else? But basically, I'm hoping next year this is the year this finally comes out on Blu-ray. The next film that I really would love to see on Blu-ray next year is Razorblade Smile. Now, I haven't seen this film in a while, but I really remember loving this film when this film came out on DVD. This is one of those weird vampire films where it's more like an action horror film than a regular standard vampire film. As the lead character is a vampire who is also an assassin who is paid to assassinate the Illuminati, an underground sect whose power is attained through technological and supernatural powers. I really love this film a lot. I really... I think it's a very good vampire film. I know a lot of people don't like this film. This is just such a very good film. I love vampire films when they're gothic, when they're action-packed. This film has it all. I really wish VS would really pick this film up, as this would fit well with VS's line of horror films, and it really would go very well with that catalog. I like this film a lot. I haven't seen this in a long time. I still have the DVD from back in the day. It's just a very good vampire film. I know a lot of people don't like this film. I like this film a lot. I really hope this ends up on Blu-ray. Either VS or somebody put this film out. As it's a very unique and entertaining vampire film. The next film I hope that will get a Blu-ray release in 2022 is Sinjinar. Now, this is a science fiction horror film starring late 80s, early 90s, direct-to-video Scream Queen star Andrew Reef, the late David Gale from Reaminator, and Melanie Shatner, the daughter of William Shatner. This is a very good film. I remember seeing this film back when the Sci-Fi Channel was actually airing these low-budget sci-fi horror films. I'm talking about the days when they aired the Full Moon films. Those types of films. Not what they air today. This film has a very good gore effects. This film also has a very good cast. As I thought the acting in this film was good for its screenplay. The film also has really good visual effects. And it also has a great creature design by William Malone. The director of House on Haunted Hill. Scared to Death. 
and Creature. It's really one of those films I like a lot. It's a crime this film has not been on Blu-ray yet, given the cast of this film. This, again, would be another perfect VS title. I know Synapsis, I'm not sure if they still have the rights to that. If they do, I wish Synapsis would put this film on Blu-ray. Because I do have the Synapsis DVD of this film. I just like this film. It's just a very good creature feature. It's very entertaining. It's definitely a film that should be on Blu-ray. Seriously, quite frankly. But, for some odd reason, this film is not on Blu-ray yet. And given the cast, I'm kind of surprised it isn't on Blu-ray, quite frankly. Because you have David Gale from Reaminator in one of his last films. It's a very fun, entertaining B-movie. It's just one of those films that I grew up watching on cable. I just wish that was on Blu-ray, period. The next film, and yes, it's time for that portion of the segment when I wish films that are on Blu-ray, where I talk about Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2. Yes, I'm talking about Lionsgate and the fact that Lionsgate to this day has continued to hold this film hostage. This is the sequel to one of the greatest independent horror films of all time. Why is Lionsgate holding this film hostage still? Seriously. They can put out Candyman 3 Day of the Dead, which is just awful. But they still haven't put out Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2. I just don't get it, literally. I know a lot of people who like the Blair Witch Project hated this film. Because, basically, it's a different film from the Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project was a found footage film. Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2 is a straightforward film. But the reason I really love Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2 was the fact that this was different. This focuses more on a group of people who are obsessed with the Blair Witch Project. And I liked how the director of this film really came up with a very good story focusing more on the obsession of the Blair Witch and trying to do a different type of Blair Witch film than trying to just rehash the Blair Witch Project, which they could have done easily. But to the director's credit, he does a very good job making sure that this film differentiates itself from the Blair Witch Project. Because personally, I did not want to see another Blair Witch Project film. You've done the Blair Witch Project. You do not need to redo the Blair Witch Project with Blair Witch 2. And I'm happy the director chose to go in a completely different route and focus more on a group of people who are obsessed with the Blair Witch Project and ultimately end up in a night of terror in the woods. I liked how this film was not found footage. And I also like the fact that this film is different. This really stands out to this day from Blair Witch Project. Book of Shadows, a very good film. I don't know why that film is not out on Blu-ray. It's just such a good, very solid sequel, which a lot of people didn't like because everybody wanted Blair Witch Project all over again. And sorry, I do not need to see the same movie twice. I like how the director went in a different direction and focused on another group of people who are obsessed on the Blair Witch Project. It really made for a very good film. Had some very good suspenseful moments. And quite frankly, by going in a different route, it was better for the franchise. Even though this was the last film in the franchise. Until Adam Wingard tried to bring it back in 2000. 16 unsuccessfully. i rather have a film that is different and fails at the box office than have a retread of the same film and succeed. Look at the Paranormal Activity films. Though most of them are pretty much the same film in the same structure. Don't ask me about Next of Kin. I'm not going into that. I know that's different, but that was really handled in a very bad way. But... Definitely Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 is a film that really needs to be on Blu-ray. If you can put Candyman 3 Day of the Dead on Blu-ray, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2 should be out on Blu-ray. Period. Lionsgate, please stop holding this film hostage and release this film on Blu-ray. It's been, what, almost 20 years since this film came out? It's like 
It's ridiculous. This film should be on Blu-ray by now. And it ain't. But films like Candyman 3, Day of the Dead, is coming to Blu-ray in 2022. I really hope Blair Witch 2 comes out on Blu-ray in 2022, period. Please, Lionsgate. Stop holding the film hostage and release it. And finally, a film that is also, I feel like, being held hostage but has a Blu-ray release already, but should already have a collector's edition Blu-ray. You know, like a Scream Factory-type treatment Blu-ray. But no, this film does not have a Scream Factory-type treatment Blu-ray here in the United States. I am talking about George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, the original, not the remake. Why this film has not gotten a new Blu-ray is beyond me. Seriously. In some of the other countries, they've done the complete edition of Dawn of the Dead. In this country, the United States, we do not have a complete Blu-ray edition of Dawn of the Dead. The original. Not the remake, people. And it is a crime. It is a crime that the remake has a Scream Factory type edition. And the original does not. This probably is being held hostage by somebody. Seriously. It's either probably Lionsgate, which brought out Anchor Bay, who had the rights last. Yeah, remember Anchor Bay Entertainment? If you're in the early 2000s, you will remember Anchor Bay Entertainment because they're basically like Scream Factory today. But they sold off to Lionsgate, leaving a lot of titles going over to Lionsgate. And we all know what Lionsgate likes to do. They like to hold those titles hostage. It took forever and a day to get a complete collector's edition of the original Halloween until this year when 1, 4, and 5 went to Scream Factory, finally. Now, we need a complete edition of George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead, and I'm talking about the original, not the remake, because this is a classic zombie film. Why is this film have a great Blu-ray edition. Instead, the only Blu-ray edition is out of print, and that was the one done by Anchors Bay years ago before they sold to Lionsgate. I don't know who's holding that title hostage. It could be either Lionsgate or whoever owns the rights to Dawn of the Dead is willing to put this Blu-ray out in other countries, but not here in the United States for some reason. I got feeling Lionsgate is probably holding this title hostage as well. It would be nice to put this out. I don't know why Lionsgate doesn't even think about trying to put Dawn of the Dead out if they still have the rights to it. Because I know some of the Anchor Bay titles, the rights have expired. Because I know Halloween 1, 4, and 5 are with Scream Factory after being stuck with Anchor Bay slash Lionsgate for years. I hope... 2022 is the year that Dawn of the Dead, the original, not the remake, gets a deluxe Blu-ray treatment. The kind of treatment that Scream Factory gave Halloween this past year. And with that, that's five films I want to see on Blu-ray in 2022. Every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer, and they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care 
fight real monsters. Hey guys, this is Steven Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube and our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Files version 2.0 on the following media distributors. Podbean, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. Class is over, John. Time for something new and improved. Welcome back to MPT's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm here with Aaron Frodkin. He's here to talk about his latest film, Val, which recently got released by Dread. How are you doing today, Aaron? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Good. What made you get into filmmaking? Uh, that was, I mean, filmmaking is one of those things I've just sort of interested in from a very young age. Uh, probably since I was 12 years old, I vacationed to California with my parents and a friend that we were visiting out here had a video camera and I just, you know, picked it up and, uh, fell in love with just filming things. Everyday life, really. And then I asked if my parents could get me a camera and sure enough, Later that uh, Hanukkah season, they did, and uh, yeah, I just sort of like, you know, stayed up to date with like technology and would always try to get like the latest camera, like the best prosumer camera that I could, that I could afford, and yeah, I've just always really been interested in, in filming things, and I sort of very much uh, self-taught, you know, did a, a lot of uh, learning on, on YouTube, and then with the moment I realized I could go to school for it and actually major in filmmaking and then potentially have a career doing it, to me that was a no-brainer. You have a production company called Social House Productions. Mm-hmm. Tell me, how did you come up with the name Social House Productions? So I uh, I actually started Social House Films with my uh, fiance Victoria Fratz, and uh, we we co-wrote Val together. We also co-wrote Electric Love, which is our, our previous film. But we first met for food and drinks at a bar on Sunset Boulevard in L.A. called Social House State Social House, and so it was only fitting that we called our production company Social House Films. You have a new film called Val out right now. Tell everyone about the film. Sure. So uh, Val is a sort of a horror comedy fantasy uh, about a criminal who's on the run from the police. And uh, he suffers a concussion during a, a firefight with the police officer. And he breaks into this woman's home where he basically holds her hostage. And throughout the entire movie, you're not really entirely sure who is good and who is evil. And uh, I don't want to, you know, give away too much of the film because there is uh, an ending that would that would pretty much spoil the entire story. How did you and Victoria come up with the story of the film? So a lot of the time when we're trying to come up with ideas for movies, we really just ask ourselves, you know, what what we're able to do with the resources that we have. We're not backed by any studios or anything yet. So, you know, we, we uh, sort of work with what we have, and we very much like focusing in on, you know, just a few characters, ideally in, like, one or two locations. And we're very much in love with the horror genre. I, like, I come from a comedy background. My other two movies are very heavy on the jokes. So, yeah, you know, I, I love these, like, high-concept sort of horror movies with a little sense of adventure and self-awareness. I think we were just driving in the car, and I pitched an idea nervously to Victoria about a criminal who's on the run from the police. And she said, I love it. What if we have a little twist ending like this? And she told me, I was like, I really like that. And together we just wrote the movie and and, uh, went out and did it. What were some of the differences that you encountered in making your first horror film compared to making a regular comedy film? There's actually not as many differences as you would think. I think both comedy and horror are very similar in that you kind of have a build-up or a joke and then you have a punchline. Or, or, you know, a jump scare or, you know, it's every, every scene is almost could be a standalone short. And I, I like that crossover. I think it's why, like, a lot of it sort of became instinctual after doing so much comedy. Just sort of like the structure of storytelling is very similar. What was the screenwriting process like, given that you had to balance the horror elements with the dark humor in the film? I think um, we first focus on horror and story. 
So, you know, we, we tried to write characters that are authentic. Um, we're not trying to make a joke out of any individual scene or character. The intention is to play everything real and natural and take the story and the, the characters in the story very seriously. Um, but I think when you put serious characters in a sort of absurd situation, it inherently becomes funny. And so a lot of the times you don't even really have to try. Fortunately, we also do just have such a talented cast of comedians and uh, well-trained actors that are able to sort of come up with ideas in the moment and improvise and we can try new things and try jokes, you know, so the, a lot of the balance also you kind of get a feel for on set, not even just writing, but when you're actually there in the moment filming, you kind of know as to whether or not something is working, you kind of feel if it needs a little funny or if it needs a little bit more seriousness. One of the first things when you're introduced to Val is she is saying it was nice spending this time with you, which I thought was very odd for an introduction to a character. What made you want to have that character recite that line in her introduction? Well, again, I don't want to uh, spoil the ending, but uh, that line definitely does play an importance uh, towards the end. Essentially, she's expecting a client of hers. She is a private escort. And she's expecting this client to come, so she's sort of practicing in front of the mirror saying what she is about to say to her client. And again, I don't wanna I don't wanna give too much away, but that line does definitely uh play a big role in the end. How did you come up with the mannequins in the story? As it gave the film its twisted feel. Uh that's a good question. Actually, I couldn't tell you. Kind of just the the deep caverns of of our uh, brains, I suppose. Val is definitely a very chaotic and unpredictable kind of character, and she's also not operating alone. And so we kind of ask ourselves, well, how do you, you know, include this army of other people that are in the house with her without actually ever seeing them? And so, you know... It kind of it kind of made sense for the story, and then just sort of imagining what it would look like to see these mannequins come alive was a, just a very creepy kind of cool idea that really helped the story and and was visually interesting. I think I noticed most of your cast, including Misha Reeves, Zachary Morin, and Eric Griffin, worked on your previous films and shorts. What made you want to work with them again in key roles? So when we wrote this movie, we actually wrote all of the roles with those specific actors in mind. And especially when you're working on a budget and even not, it it really helps to actually have a specific actor in mind because you can sort of cater everything to them. You know what their performance is, you know, what they're capable of. And, you know, we have such a good relationship with all of them and they're probably our most talented, you know, uh, friends and actors, comedians. So it, it it's really it's really a no-brainer. A lot of what makes a good movie are, is just the people that you're working with. And, you know, it's important to kind of have a good working relationship with them. And so having worked with them multiple times, that certainly helped. Now, was all your cast people you worked with before, or did you audition anybody for this film? I think we had, like one person read for the most part it was a very small cast i think there's about five people maybe six if you include myself so for the most part uh we didn't really do any auditions we would either offer roles or we were just casting people that we already sort of brought onto the project even when we were writing after the very first draft we called up misha and we were like do you want to be the lead of our movie and without even reading the script she was like i'm in now, when was this film shot? Uh, you said when or where? When? It was, this was shot in uh, March 2020. Actually, like the end of February, beginning of March, we wrapped the movie about three days before the official lockdown, which was just an absolute blessing. It was a miracle that we were even able to do that. What were some of the challenges that you faced, given that the lockdown was pretty much near? So... I mean, the the actual lockdown didn't even have any effect on the shoot. We, you know, COVID was not a very serious thing at that time, at least in this country. 
at least nobody was aware of it. You know, we were, people were even, you know, sneezing and they were, we were just, you know, saying like, I hope you don't have uh, COVID, but it was, it was very much like in jest and, and it wasn't actually taken seriously in this country until a few days after. So in, in terms of, you know, the challenges that we faced on set, there were none in that regard. I would say the challenges with this one were pretty much as challenges with every movie, just making sure that we are able to actually get all the coverage we need on time. The most hectic day was the final day of shooting, which was the big uh, dinner scene at the very end. And, you know, we must have had like eight or nine pages to shoot, which is a lot to do in one night. And it was a full night. I think we went into overtime. It's stressful. We had to like, I had a shot list. We had to get rid of a lot of shots. So we didn't even, we weren't even able to shoot anything. Um, but we did manage to improvise a couple of shots and, you know, we managed to sort of get everything that we needed just in time. Speaking of the dinner scene, what was it like getting the lighting to make the scene look so twisted? So our DP, Keelan Carruthers, is insanely talented, and he's actually shot a lot of our short films on our Social House Films YouTube channel, but we would have, uh, we had a lot of discussions, we had a lot of references and inspiration, like we drew on Beetlejuice, in fact, during the entire uh, shoot, we would have sort of a shorthand speak where I would say, this is either normal mode or Beetlejuice mode. And Beetlejuice mode was basically whatever lighting style we would have once Val was sort of revealed. And, you know, like the tonal shift was very clear and visual. Yeah, I was getting that Beetlejuice vibe with that scene as well. Yeah, Sam Raimi and Tim Burton were definitely huge inspirations on this one. The house. The house looks way too nice for an independent film. How <laughs> Thank are you, you. That's, a, that's a big compliment. How were you able to secure that location? So uh, Victoria actually was uh, just scouting locations on the internet. I think it was, uh, she went, you know, on Peer Space and, and Airbnb, and we, this was like the first or second location that we visited in Ojai, California. And we walked in and... I think my parents were with us, and we all just turned to each other. We're like, "This is uh, this is this has to be the location." And so we we spoke to the owner, who is very sweet and very accommodating, and uh, we were able to to lock it down. And it was a lot of fun, also shooting. We we all lived in that house while we were filming, so the entire casting crew were sleeping in each of the rooms that that you see in the movie. What was it like shooting in a house like that? Uh, a lot of people were scared. I think at night, you know, you're in like this large, dark, uh, potentially haunted house. I think the owner said that the house was haunted. Vic and I were sleeping in an air mattress in the in the living room. I was too wrapped up in the, the film itself that I didn't even have time to stop and think, wow, this house is kind of creepy. Maybe a couple of moments I did. But it was fun. You know, by, by the end, we were just sort of like one big Val family all sharing this house together unintentionally in quarantine, but it was fun. Now, the Val character has this film noir-like look, which gives the character its uniqueness. What was the makeup process like for that character? So, the most of the makeup was done by the actors themselves. Misha did all of her own hair and makeup. For the special effects makeup, you know, and like the, the horror makeup that we did, we actually, we brought on a, a couple of special effect makeup artists uh, that were with us. And, you know, we had them on for just like a few select days when we needed that. Um, but all the other makeup, you know, on, on Val was done by herself, surprisingly. She did a wonderful job. Yeah, because I think the makeup really makes the character look very vintage-like. Absolutely. She also designed and provided a lot of her own wardrobe, uh, and then Victoria even uh, sewed one of Val's dresses as well, which you can see her doing in the in the making of video. Now, the film also has a very good score, too. What is it like finding the composers for the score? So the music and scoring process was very interesting on this one because it was a very specific sound that we were going for. So we actually licensed a lot of music online on sites like Freeplay Music or Position Music. And that sort of set the tone for what we wanted. 
And then I sent that to Robot Disco Puma, who does the music on a lot of our short films on YouTube, and uh, Mike Tran and Eric Mitchell, who did uh, the sound uh, mixing, and they did a lot of scoring, and they sort of, they're the ones that really just like took all the music and created their own music and sort of just seamed it together uh, and made it sound cohesive. And they did, they just did a wonderful job, but it was definitely like, a collaborative effort in that regard. A lot of music coming from a lot of different places. What's the post-production process like, given the fact they had to deal with the lockout and everything? Uh, the lockdown and everything, sorry. Yeah, the lockdown did not, it didn't change my life at all. I was already planning on spending a few months isolated, quarantined at my editing bay, just cutting the film. Uh, so I think I had a rough cut in about two months or so. Uh, so maybe if we wrapped in March, maybe around like May or beginning of June, we actually had, of 2020, we had a rough cut to show people. After that, we just went through a few rounds of feedback. You know, we could send the link out to people remotely and they could send their feedback. And then towards the end of 2020 and beginning of this year, 2021, uh, that's when we began the sound mixing and color and VFX and all that. Uh, so we were kind of blessed in that the lockdown didn't really affect our production at all. Uh, we definitely got really lucky there. And post-production, I would say, maybe took a total of like nine or ten months or so. Now, does this film play at any film festivals? Uh, yes, it, we went to uh, San Diego Film Festival. Um, I went to uh, Popcorn Frights. We were at the uh, Salem Horror Fest in Salem, Massachusetts, which was cool because I'm from Massachusetts and we actually flew out there and visited family and went to the uh, the screening there. But yeah, and then it was also at a Grimfest. Now, the film's being released by Dread. How did that deal come about? Uh, we were able to get a uh, sales agent who just in- made the introduction to Dread uh, and their team. And yeah, we're, we're super happy with how everything is going there. You know, just on top of marketing, they, you know, they really love the movie. And that's obviously important when finding a distributor is you want someone who's going to actually like the movie that they're distributing. And, and everyone over there is just very excited. So it, it worked out and I'm happy. What are some of the special features that you can find on the Blu-ray? Uh, there's a uh, making of documentary. So we actually, uh, I, I, you know, put together all of the uh, behind-the-scenes footage that we shot, and then there's a little narration from Victoria and I just sort of talking about how we made the movie. Um, it's actually also on, uh, on YouTube. But on the Blu-ray, we have a couple of our short films as well, uh, The Ballerina and Happy Birthday. So yeah, it's it's definitely worth checking out. And the the menu is is actually pretty beautiful. I, I we we popped it into the Blu-ray player on our uh, PS4, and we were like, this is a this is a really cool menu. <laughs> I can just stare at the menu. <laughs> yeah, they usually do a good job with the menus and everything. They do. Right. Yeah. Speaking of your short films, you also have a Patreon. Mm-hmm. What made you want to start a Patreon? So that was mainly for our uh, YouTube channel. So we self-finance all of our short films. And, you know, it's just sort of a way to at least be able to keep us going and be able to make short films and release on the channel. And then all the money from the Patreon goes into the next film, which we make, and so on and so forth. It, it just sort of allows us to keep on moving forward and... Yeah, we're, we we thank all of our all of our patrons and our making of videos and you know if you if you donate to the Patreon we'll give you a, a credit in the movie and get people involved. Now you have a new one out that came out like a month ago on YouTube called Jokes on You. Yep. Tell everyone about that one. Uh, that was just one of those weird ideas that that I came up with actually when watching uh, The Mask with Jim Carrey. I I just I that's one of my favorite movies of all time and I just wanted to sort of create something that is equal parts haunting and equal parts hilarious and absurd. I thought that that sort of that tone is exactly what I wanted to do. And so, you know, I came up with this idea of this demon that essentially tells you a really bad joke, and then you are cursed with laughter until you then yourself turn into this demon. And, yeah, it's a pretty, like, little bite-sized idea that I thought would be perfect for a short. And so, yeah, we, we put a lot, of, a lot of time into that one, and really, uh, you know, we used a, 
a lot of like lighting references once again from like Tim Burton and just really tried to make it very dark uh, and, and realistic despite how absurd and kind of hilarious the premise is. What was the makeup effects like on that film? Because the makeup effects I thought were very good. Uh, we had a makeup artist with us who, um, we actually have, uh, we talk about this in the making of Jokes on You, also on the channel, but we had a makeup artist with us, and we provided, we picked out a couple of prosthetics that actually ended up not working. It was just, it was a little bit too cartoonish. And so while we were on set, we just kind of improvised, and the makeup artist was sort of able to just, you know, use some latex and, and increase the size of the smile, and then we just added all this teeth and, you know, scarring tissue. And then we sent a lot of the footage to our VFX artist, Sam Evanson. He was able to enhance it a little bit and add some, you know, growing dark veins in the skin and capillaries and the whites of the eyes and really just sort of make it feel like it's coming to life. So it was definitely a combination of practical effects and VFX. What upcoming projects do you have up in the horizon? So Vic and I are still concepting an idea for another feature. We plan on shooting that next year. So we're definitely going to be making another full-length movie. That one will be full horror. That's the goal. We just want to terrify you. And then all the while, we come up with new short film ideas every month or so. Um, we just shot one called The Violinist, which which should be coming out on the channel pretty soon. But yeah, to, the best way to stay up to date with what we're doing is just checking out our YouTube channel, Social House Films. Where can they find Social House Films on the web and on social media? Yeah, we're I mean we're on all those social media platforms, so you can just type in Social House Films and find us. Uh, the best thing to do would just be go to YouTube, and if you just search Social House Films, you should pretty easily be able to find the channel. Aaron, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. <laughs> you too. They're coming to get you, Barbara. This is Carrie. This is Billy. This is Mr. Boat. And we are from a podcast from Beneath. You can catch us every Wednesday wherever you find your favorite podcasts. You'll find Anthony T's Power and Wrestling Show on these social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher app at Anthony T's Power and Wrestling, and on Twitter at Anthony T's Power. You'll find new episodes on DocDiscussions.com, major podcast providers, and YouTube. What's Anthony T. watching this episode? Well, since 2021 is over, I figured I'd look back at a film that I recently watched that was released in 2021 with a film called Censor. That's right, there is a film called Censor. Now, this film this year started off the year premiering at the Sundance Film Festival in in the fall guys original release from Magnet releasing. Then all of a sudden it became a VS Pictures release. This is the second film to be released by VS Pictures. If you don't know what VS is, just think boutique labels. But let's get back to the film in hand censor. Now this is a film that takes place during the eighties in the height of the video nasty era. It's about a woman who works at the censorship board. Then while having dinner with her parents, they discuss the disappearance of her sister when they were little. She's not convinced that she's dead. Then she sees one of the films and starts to realize that it could possibly be her sister. So she goes out and tries to search for the truth. This is a very... Good film is one of the probably one of the most shocking films of 2021. As there's a lot of blood, especially towards the last third of this film, as 
the death scenes in the last third of this film are very creative. But what makes Censor a very good film was its screenplay. Director Prano Bailey Bond and Anthony Fletcher do a very good job keeping this film very unbalanced, very dreadful, very suspenseful. It really, I think, made this film very engaging as they do a very good job in trying to give you a sense of what 80s Britain was like when it came in terms of horror films there. They make sure the screenplay had airy tone to it throughout. I like how this screenplay seems to have influences of Gilo films, David Lynch films. It really added to this mystique of this film. And of course this film has a great 20 minutes at the end that really shocks you, which really leaves a shocking impression. Another thing that I really liked about this film was the fact that the director, Prano Bailey Bond, does a very good job with the way she directs this film. I liked how she really keeps this film moving, whether it's the action, whether the film has good lighting, whether it had a very dark tone to it. Because I was really into this mystery, and I was into the story, and I also like how she directs the performances here, as I thought the lead performance by Neve Alga, as she does a very good job making sure her character is very dark, very demented, and you're very interested in what her character is. She really makes sure that the performance matches the material, as this is one of those films that really could go either direction, given the fact that this material has this David Lynch-type feel to it. It's a very good performance. It's one of the best performances of the year. As there's been a lot of good female performances this year, this is definitely one of them. And also with the direction of this film, Censor is a really good film. It is one of those films, if you're really into Gilo films, you into the video nasty type films, you may be curious by this film. Censor is one of those films where it's going to start off very slow, but it's one of those films you just don't give up on. As It's one of those films that just keeps building and building the tension, the eeriness, will continue to build throughout the film. You will enjoy this film as this is a very dreary, very eerie mystery slash horror film that I really think people will enjoy a lot if you have the patience like I do. As I think this screenplay is very good as it just really takes its time to develop to give you this shock ending. And this film does have a shock ending, which definitely will shock you. You may get confused, but it if you manage to decipher the ending of this film, it will shock you. Definitely check out Censor. It is a great film. It is definitely going to be on my top 10 films of 2021. It has great direction by Prano Bailey Bond and a great lead performance. Definitely check out Censor, whether it's through VS Pictures or Magnet Releasing. I highly recommend you check it out. It's also on Hulu too, so definitely check out Censor. It's a very effective and very good horror film that fans of horror and mystery will enjoy. Next episode will be the Horror Show Awards and Horror Show Whammies. Usually the first episode of the year is that, but this year was different due to me not having an episode in December. So it kind of got pushed back to the back burner. But I can guarantee you next episode will be the Horror Show Awards, Horror Show Whammies. Then the episode after that will be the best films of 2021. I hope to get a guest for that episode as we'll talk about 
films. So the next two episodes will be film heavy. So there probably won't be much wrestling being talked on these episodes. I may do a mini wrestling podcast in between. It depends. There's some stuff to rant on. But with that, I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling. Support indie horror.